What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Scott Stiles, uh, co-founder, general manager at Fair Employment Agencies. People always say, oh, it's just like my student loans. I know how that feels. And no, you don't because your student loans aren't at 55% interest and you don't have, you know, shady money lenders knocking on your door. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview rocket scientists, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. If you like what you hear, we're also going to be releasing exclusive bonus materials like PDF checklists, reports, and presentations, but only for members of the collective. If you're interested in those, as of this recording, you can still join for free on the Ideation Collective website, which is iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. Also, before getting rolling, we want to invite you to consider helping the charity our founders started called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the United States and abroad. One of our foreign projects we're working on right now is helping to build an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru. To learn more about that, please come to the Child Rescue section on our website, iCollective.co slash Child Rescue. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Scott, thanks for making time. Thanks for having me, Jess. So kind of excited about this uh, Mutual friend Scott Steinway um, got us connected, and he's a huge fan of how you're using business to change the world here, specifically the world of uh, the world in Hong Kong when it comes to a very specific population. Can you can you talk to us about what Fair Employment Agency does? Yeah, so so basically, there's there's about three hundred forty three hundred fifty thousand. Uh, migrant domestic workers that are in Hong Kong. Um, they leave primarily the Philippines and Indonesia seeking opportunities to work in people's homes. And they, they're basically uh, domestic workers or people would call maids or nannies. Um, and in order to get jobs, you know, and so, so they come here with the intention of, of getting ahead and saving money, sending it back to their families and, and providing opportunities for their kids to get education and such. And so but in order to get jobs here, they are taking out huge debt with the agencies who find them work. And the agencies charge them fees, usually four to seven months of their salary. Um, and the fees are they're pretty destructive for them, and they put them in a situation of debt bondage. So that's what we're fighting against. And, and tell us about how you fight that. Um, so basically, when we looked at the problem, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of problems, right? There's there's laws and there's a lot of different issues that, that are surrounding it. But for us, it became pretty clear that the the primary issue was the actual employment agencies that find them jobs. Um, they were typically, like I said, they're charging them several months of their salary just for the opportunity to work. And what happened is that they had no incentive to do a good job for the employer or the worker. So if, if an employment agency, if you say, hey, I want to hire a nanny, they would send somebody to your say, OK, perfect. We'll send somebody over. They send that person through. They want you to actually fire that person um, because they can they're charging that person 
several months of their salary, usually paid to a paid through a money lender. Um, so they get that cash up front and they would rather have you fire somebody quickly. And so what we realized was that the employers and the workers were both losing in the situation. And so we decided to basically compete with the bad guys. Um, so we set up an agency that is a nonprofit um, in that we don't distribute dividends, but we do charge employers for our services. And so um, in the last couple of years, it's, it's kind of worked. Uh, we, we launched a little over right about two years ago. Um, we've placed 900 workers, and we've uh, we've gone from me alone in the office to we have 19 full-time staff now, um, and we're working on some pretty exciting projects. So um, when you say they want these people to get fired, is the point is so that they can try and charge again? Is that why? You- exactly. Exactly. So what they do is that the typical agency um, in Hong Kong, they are successful by creating churn. So they would rather have workers get fired immediately. So Hong Kong, it sounds like it's a really big place, but it's not. You know, it's it's 7 million people. So that's, you know, it's a good-sized city, but it's just a city. And in this city, there's 1,300 of these agencies. And so there's just it's just this, you know, disastrous market, basically, <laughs> um, where all of these agencies, the only reason why they can exist is because they're creating so much churn. So they make more money if they get three or four workers into an employer's home, which is really disruptive for the employer who's actually paying for the service. Um, and it's destroying the lives of all these workers who are who are in their homes. Um, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So um, what I love about it is I'm a big fan of like people like Derek Sivers or the folks who get out there and say like the best way to complain about software is to make better software. And uh, <laughs> so I feel like that's kind of what you guys are doing. Dude, okay. So this is it. Like for me, this is like my biggest pet peeve is that – People just need to be problem solvers, right? Like it is so easy to be an advocate. It is so easy to complain about problems in the world. It's really hard to solve them. But I feel like a lot of times there's really smart people that are spending their lives complaining, um, whether it be complaining to a government, complaining to whoever it may be. When if those people put their energy towards solving stuff and being positive and realizing that we can actually make an impact, um, the world would be the world's a pretty awesome place already. But I think that a lot of these problems could be solved. So um, let's talk about the math and and specifically how you guys showing up and not doing this as an advocacy group, but as being a for profit business. How essentially you're like you're attacking the math of the people who are maybe kind of predatory in this environment like what it costs what they make versus what they do when they do it with you perfect yeah so so and i like to clarify so we're doing it we're competing in a for-profit market we are set up as a non-profit um that that just means that we can't like dividend out and like i can't sell the company and get rich off of it right so that's the way i explain it so it's not we charge for our services people pay for our services think of it more like a hospital in the u.s right they'll claim that they're non-profits but they're plenty happy to charge you you know, $12,000 for your epidural. Um, so I don't actually know how much they cost, but I know they're expensive. Um, so, so the math is pretty, is this is kind of one of the things that we've worked really hard to unlock with employers. Cause a lot of times, especially several years ago, the cost of hiring a worker was about half of what it is now. Um, and agencies all had a buy one, get three free policy is what they called. And this is a, this is a human, right. That you're employing in your house. Um, that's taking care of your kids. And so they really tried hard to kind of depersonalize the process. 
Um, and so they have this buy one, get three free policy. And so an, an employer chooses to use the, the agency. And right now an employer pays around a thousand us dollars, like 1,200 around there. Um, and when you, so you pay for that service. Now, when they have their buy one, get three free policy, if you do not, if it doesn't work out with that worker, they're more than happy to have you fire that person. The money lender then will chase up that worker for for the money that's owed to them, and then you and then the agency was more than happy to charge another person's you know four to seven months of their salary in order to come in and, and take that job, and so basically they were incentivized to get the wrong people into the house. And the way that we can really tell how how obvious that is is because when employers would call or even right now if they call an existing agency, the first thing that they tell them is you want to hire a first-time worker. You don't want somebody who has experience because they're going to know all the tricks. Um, and there's not really any tricks that these people can pull on an employer. It's kind of like any other job where it's like workplace theft, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like that's the sort of thing that they can do. And so what they've done is they've built up this fear of which they then use to create more churn in the market. And so they're just, they're devastating lives of these workers who are, you know, putting everything that they have at risk and and taking this huge step to come over here. And so to me, like, it, it's hard to explain how much risk these women are, are taking when they're leaving. You know, they're leaving their families um, to pay, you know, to come out here to hopefully get a, a head up. But many times their dreams are just being destroyed. So l- let's talk about that for a minute. So um, and if you don't know these stats, that's OK. But like, what yeah. what does someone make in in the Philippines? Like, what, what's an what's an annual income? What's an average income? So, thirty percent of the Philippines lives on under on under. I heard this stat today. I believe it's true. Thirty um, percent of the Philippines lives on under like five hundred dollars a year. And and how much will they pay to get one of these Hong Kong jobs to one of these agencies? They'll usually pay around two thousand U.S. So it's like it's like. For like, if I'm an American making 50 grand a year, it's like paying 200 grand to get a job that I then get fired from immediately. Yes. And, and it's the, the interest. And then people always say, oh, it's just like my student loans. I know how that feels. And no, you don't because your student loans aren't at 55 percent interest and you don't have, you know, shady money lenders knocking on your door, taking pictures of you when you don't you're not looking and knocking on your door when, when you don't pay them. Um, and so the, the level of fear is something that that fear is what creates a situation of slavery, right? They cannot leave situations. They have to stay in, in these bad spots. And actually a couple of years ago, there was a case of an Indonesian domestic worker who had this happen. She was one of, um, she was basically tortured for six months in the house. She went into her agency and they told her to finish paying off her debt and they would, um, and they would then, uh, help her find a new job. And she was tortured for six months and, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty brutal. I don't like to get in the details of it because it just it's it's ridiculous that it that it happened. Um, but she was actually one of Time's most influential people in 2014. And so this is the sort of thing where this is a sort of problem that's gaining a lot of awareness right now. Um, and it's people are I feel like we're actually part of explaining how easy it would be to solve this problem. <laughs> like we're not talking about big, you know legislative battles and we're not, we just need the existing laws to be enforced. Yeah. So, um, I, I feel like what I think is awesome about you guys is that it's not just like, we're going to go have a protest at city hall, that you're finding the jobs 
and you're providing like a, a superior product, uh, it, it, like a yeah. superior ser- service, and it's like attacking these guys, you know, the people who are harming others, you're not taking them down with protest. You're taking them down with economics because the, you know, the math is working better the way you guys are doing it versus the way it's being done elsewhere. So can you talk about that, about what somebody else pays versus what you pay and how that system and training people over in the Philippines and all this? Yeah. So really good question. So, so basically um, that's exactly how we feel. I always describe it like we need the bad guys to be scared of us, not because we're like warm and fuzzy and because we are a nonprofit, but because we're just the best at what we do. Um, and so like over the last two years, our, we've started doing uh, surveys as far as customer satisfaction and stuff. And 92% of our clients would refer us to a friend, which is say, like say off that the one charts. more time. Ninety-two percent of our of our employers would refer us to a friend. So is this kind of like Bain Capital Net Promoter Score type of? Yes, that's exactly what we based it off of. Oh, really? <laughs> um, yeah. So, so we're using we're using we're on the Qualtrics platform, and so that's what we're we're sending out through Qualtrics and stuff. So yeah, that's the that's the kind of the gist of it. And so like we're just knocking it we're just knocking it out of the park. Um, and this is an industry where. Nobody has been stat- satisfied with the status quo, and so we we feel like we're in a really strong position to actually change things. Um, one of my more kind of one of the things that makes me more proud is early on when we had our first kind of we got a little bit of press, and one of the a- big agency groups wrote a letter into the the consulate here who approves our our visas, and they said that we were breaking the law. <laughs> Um, which wasn't true, but it just, it made me excited because it meant they were scared and they knew that we were coming. (laughs) And so like, to me, like, that's how I think. And so like, when I, when I say that, like, like, I believe truly that we can change this industry and it's going to happen very differently than it does for, for other people. Um, and so the, sorry, I got a little sidetracked there, but so that's what like our customer service and our, all those things, like I treat this like a service business. We, you know, when there's a problem, we treat it like any other business and we're on top of it, you know, we're monitoring social media because to us, we haven't changed the industry if people just use us because we're a nonprofit or because we're nice. We need everybody to use us because we're the best at what we do. Okay. So can we talk about this? Josh was telling me about like how, like how much workers make with someone else versus with you and the upfront costs and stuff. Can, is that, is that, um, are there parts of that that you can share without sharing trade secrets or not so much? Yeah. So, so like, that's kind of the thing. I don't really feel like I have trade secrets okay. um, because I want people to copy this. <laughs> so like, so I'm totally fine with anybody hearing this when workers typically come. So like I said, that when t- workers find a job, they'll typically spend four to seven months of their salary. Basically it's like 80% of their salary paying this initial debt with us. They pay nothing. So that all of that money is returned back to their families or they're able to spend it how they want. Right. And to me, it's about giving value to those who are creating value um, reasonably. Right. And so the typical worker will save, will say around two grand using us. So if you think back, that's four or five years work at home for most of them. Um, and that money will immediately be reinvested and, and put to good work in, in their homes. And so, yeah, we're, I'm actually, I'm really proud of that because 
we've thrown around different numbers, but it's it's we're well over we're probably something close to two million dollars that we've we've returned to the Philippines at this point in time. Wow, over what period? Two years. That that yeah. normally would have gone to these agencies that are now going yeah. to these these families in need in the developing world. Yeah. So we're something and the, the cool thing is is that it's not like the investment, like right now, I think we put a little over 200,000 US into the company to make it go. So when we talk about like not profit, like a nonprofit and like receiving donations, um, we haven't, it's a pretty good social ROI thus far. And it won't be long before we're break even business in Hong Kong. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Huh? So, um, and aren't you doing something where you're actually like helping doing training over there before people even come over now or something? Yeah, we're working there. Um, so we've worked through the process of, of registering a business in the Philippines, um, and which is during an election year. That alone is an achievement. Um, so, but we, yeah, we're, we're setting up our own training center. And the goal for the training center is to basically set the standard for the training process. So we spent a while, I spent like a week, a couple summers ago, touring training centers in the Philippines. And I kid you not, you walk into this room, it's probably like a a room that's like 30 by 20. And there would be 15 people, 15 ladies sitting cross-legged in one corner of the room. We would walk in the room and they would all hop up and they had these French, you know, the French feather dusters, you know, like the... They come out of the like a yeah. mini broom, and they would they would all they all circled the 1970s style wood panel TV set, and they're all dusting it off, saying "Hello, sir. Hello, ma'am. Hello, sir. Hello, ma'am." And so they were doing nothing. They were doing very little to prepare to come to Hong Kong, and you can imagine the culture shock that they're facing. Um, and so when when we saw that, we basically said, well, we need to be very careful about you know who we bring over and, and how trained people are. Um, and it was always kind of our intention to set up some sort of training there. And so we're going through the full process right now. Um, we've hired people and, and that's moving forward. We're hoping to start training by the end of the year. And so the goal there is the same. It's that you know these people are being pushed into a system that they're ill-prepared for. Um, and there's this is so crazy statistics about the Philippines. Philippines has about 100 million people. There's 11 million overseas workers from the Philippines. So 11 million people are living outside the country um, and working and sending money home. And so this is a huge part of their economy. It's the numbers say about 14 percent of their GDP is remittances. And so if you can set the standard there and their government, there's they're they're actually really focused on these issues right now. So it just feels like there's a lot of things working for us. Yeah, no kidding. So let's talk about um, this idea of essentially social entrepreneurship. Um, you were, uh, you know, you and I share this like uh, kind of ambition for for people held against their will, you know, the child rescue stuff yeah. I'm working on, the stuff you're working on where people are abused. Um, but uh, I think it's interesting that neither of us were like social work majors in school. Talk, talk about like what you thought you were going to be doing or, or what your background scholastically was, you know, what you're doing okay. in university. Yeah. Well, I studied finance and I love that. I think it's super fun. I still think it's interesting. I still read all the financial news and things. Um, and I always kind of picture myself either doing that or being an entrepreneur, but I never really had aspirations to be uh, a social entrepreneur. Um, in fact, like social entrepreneurship to me is kind of a buzzword that hasn't, how do I explain it without offending people? 
it, it hasn't really been successful thus far. Um, you know, a lot of it has just been we call something that is a charity a social enterprise, um, which I think that probably 90 percent of the work that's being done should be done through charities. <laughs> so I think that it's actually calling everything a social enterprise is a dangerous game um, because I think that social enterprise needs to be focused on impacting the market equilibrium. And if you're not doing that, then you're you're probably still you're probably a charity or, or a nonprofit. And that's totally fine. And those those groups have a different focus. Um, the way I like to describe it is that charities and nonprofits should be focused on helping the one um, with, you know, the and we should as social entrepreneurs, we should be focused on helping the ninety nine. Right. So I cannot help every desperate person who comes in and applies for a job with us. Um, instead, I need to be focused on creating a really awesome company that has people who really want to be here and make a change. And once we've done that and we've set a new standard for the industry, everybody else will be helped along. But it would just be too hard for me to help every person who comes to us in need. Sure. Um, so when you think about going from you know, zero to 19 staff, what period of time has that happened over? Two years. What, what are some of the things you feel like you've learned from that? Um, yeah, I, well, I think the, the biggest thing is that don't force it. Um, I think we've done a lot of hiring from behind. And, you know, when you, when you just get so busy that you just hire whoever. Um, but at the same time, like, we've gotten really lucky by, like, we have some pretty amazing people working with us. Um, we have one of my, you know, I have two co-founders in, in the business, and both of them are extraordinary. One's a lawyer. One is an accountant. So I kind of have those two things those boxes ticked, which is a big deal for an entrepreneur. Um, and then a few months after we started, we had a lady join us who was, uh, she was the CEO of Grameen Foundation Asia. Oh, wow. Um, and so she oversaw all of Asia and then she was like the head of the head of programs for the whole Grameen Foundation. Um, her name is Jennifer Meehan and she joined us and she works for free for us, um, because she believes in the mission and what we can do. And so when you, to me, it's, it's engaging people and making them understand the big picture, but then executing on the smaller things. And if you do that, awesome people will tend to join you. And so we've had a lot of people, we really haven't had to market most of our jobs. A lot of it has just come from people, you know, coming to volunteer with us. And then after they volunteer for a few weeks or a few months, we hire them. Um, so it's been really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you think about being, being a younger guy starting business, you know, I, um, I feel like I had, you know, this is business number 12 for me. Most of mine, you know, unlike yours did not hit it out of the park kind of thing. Right. A <laughs> couple big wins, most, mostly, uh, mostly a bunch of failures, right? If, if you have a couple big wins, you're fine though. <laughs> so, but my question is, um, being a younger guy in business, you know, I, I really like Hong Kong. We were talking before the show. I feel like it's like a, it's like a clean New York, you know what I mean? Like it's happening, but there's also like, you know, some big ego in my experience, there's some big egos and there's some people really excited to tell you about the wealth they've accumulated or these kind of things. Um, what, what's your experience in Hong Kong been like? Um, well, I, honestly, I, I've found, I think that what I do is so different than most people. Um, I think a lot of times people, when they want to, like, you're talking about like just young people that have been successful, just. Yeah. Do you, like, do you find, just, well, no, do you find the Hong Kong 
business environment like uh, welcoming or have you found bias because you're younger um, where you've had to struggle to get some things done or what, what's it been like? No, well, you can't see me, but I look like I'm about 12 years old. <laughs> um, and so I'd say that the bias came early on um, when we were out raising, you know, trying to get some initial funds raised. Fortunately, we had some funds committed, but um, you know, when we were really trying to do that, I think that there was some bias. The, the cool thing now is that once you have a little bit of a track record and you show that you can operate, people quit caring pretty quickly. Um, and something like what we do is just so different that people don't, they don't get it most of the time anyways. Like if, if they're going to get it, they get it and they get excited about it. And so I'd say that I, I haven't battled with it too much. Um, and I don't really care about that sort of thing. I don't think about it a lot. I don't try to look older. Um, I don't even know how I would cause I can't even grow a mustache. So, so Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it's funny because I'm just, I'm just laughing because I'm exactly the same thing. Like I'm, I'm 36 and last year when I was doing a thing for child rescue in Central America, one of the girls guessed that I was 21 and the other one guessed, nice. I, was, the other one guessed I was 25. So you can imagine what I looked like 15 years ago, right? So um, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I went and bought fake glasses, like non-prescription glasses that look like prescription glasses. And nice. I, you know, I tried that for a while. I couldn't grow a mustache. You were like, yeah. this was like pre-hipster era too. This wasn't even a cool thing. This was just yeah. trying to look older. Maybe if I got hipster glasses, it would have worked out better for me. But yeah. Didn't, yeah. Didn't I joke about out. getting some just for men, you know, the, to Great. bring a little gray in there. A little, little reverse, a little reverse there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, listen, uh, I think, I think this is a good place to cut off uh, for part one of the episode. Check in tomorrow uh, or check in to our next episode. We're going to be continuing on with Scott and we're going to hear more about how this works and how he's attracted attention from some very large players around the world and, and, uh, and how, you know, this $2 million has happened and what they're going to be doing going forward. So thanks so much for listening. We're going to cut off part one of the interview there in the interest of time. We've had feedback that people would rather have 20 to 30 minute episodes, so we're going to break the interviews in half. Please check back tomorrow for part two of the interview. And as always, come to iCollective.co for show notes. And to learn more about Child Rescue, go to the menu and, and look at our Child Rescue page and see if that's something that you'd like to get involved with. Thanks for listening. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.